2: From Charlotte, North Carolina, you're listening to the Bible Answer Man broadcast with Hank Hanegraaff, president of the Christian Research Institute. The reason the Bible Answer Man is on the air is to defend the Christian faith, proclaim the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and to teach discipleship to His followers, because life and truth matter. For more information, or to order equipping resources, call 888-7000-CRI, which translates to 888-7000-274, or go online to equip.org. That's equip.org. The following program was pre-recorded. And now, here's your host, Hank Hanagraph.
3: Thank you very much, Randy. You get our contact information is always on the web, equip.org. And via the mail at box 8500 Charlotte, North Carolina, zip code 28271. Our resource consultants as well are standing by 888-7000 and the letters CRI. We will be going to your calls in just a moment, but I want to say just a couple of words about today's International Woman's Day. I thought it would be well to concentrate our thoughts for just a moment on the greatest woman of all time. Now, there were many great women lauded in Scripture. In fact, Scripture elevates women. You think about Esther or Miriam or Ruth or Rahab or Priscilla, and the list goes on. But the apex of all of humanity, the model for all that we are to become in Christ, is a woman named Mary. While Islam venerates Muhammad, Christianity venerates Mary. We don't worship her. Worship is due God alone. But we honor Mary as the one chosen out of all generations to become, well, the mother of our Lord, as Luke puts it. The first To receive Jesus into the fabric of her being. The one person that all generations of humanity are to regard as blessed. The first woman Eve, of course, was deceived. The second Eve conceived and in the words of Saint Irenaeus, who was the Bishop of Lyon, untied the knot of disobedience through obedience, and so became a cause of salvation for herself and likewise for the whole of the human race. I love what Tertullian said, the early church father from the 3rd century. He said, For into Eve, when she was yet a virgin, had crept the word that established death, likewise into a virgin was to be brought the word of God that produced life, so that what had gone to ruin by the one sex might be restored to salvation by the same sex. Martin Luther proclaimed Mary the highest woman, the noblest gem in Christianity. As a mortal in the likeness of all humanity, Mary, of course, bore a fallen nature, a fallen nature that can only be transformed by Christ. Likewise, she was subject to death that only Christ could conquer. Her glory, however, is that she gave herself completely to the will of God. That, of course, does not mean that she was immune to sin, but that her communion with Christ is the very apex to which all true believers seek to rise. So as we are engulfed in International Women's Day, I thought it well for us to fix our eyes on Theotokos, the God-bearer, the apex of humanity, as she fixed her gaze on Theanthropus, the God-man, the second Adam, who alone is the personification of perfection. Questions coming in from all over the world. First up today, Joy listening in Kansas, Hi, Joy.
4: Yes, sir. I have a question. A gentleman that I have a Bible study with asked me, and I looked for something in reference to it, and I couldn't find anything. But it was the Bible verse, which is Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one through 53, and it speaks about when the thick temple curtain rips in half, and the graves open, and dead bodies resurrect walking the city, walking about the city. And his question was, what happened to those people, and did they die a second death?
3: Well, they would have been an anomaly. They would have been a non-normative set of people, an event that looked forward to something, ultimately the earnest of all who are resurrected. So every single person will ultimately be resurrected in the final sense when Jesus appears a second time. This is precisely What the scriptures teach. Jesus said, do not be amazed at this. The time is coming when all who are in the graves will come out. Some will rise to live and some will rise to be eternally condemned. I would say the passage that you're talking about is a much disputed passage in Scripture. Some believe that this is only apocalyptic language. Others believe that this is something that actually happened again as a foretaste of what will happen when Jesus, the first fruit of those who are being raised from the dead, will rise from the dead. And then as Christ rose from the dead, we too will one day rise from the dead, immortal, imperishable Incorruptible. Lucinda next, listening in Pleasant Hill, California. Hi, Lucinda.
4: Well, Heidi ho Hank. This is a question I really un- would like to understand. First John two fifteen and below, you know, love not the world, the things in the world. I cannot understand how really excellent teacher-pastors sell luxury cruises to live on the top deck and pay all the money, but they're selling the Word of God, they're stamping Jesus's name on that. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't think that would make sense biblically to Jesus. Do you think that would make sense?
3: Well, look, I think that certainly you can have wonderful experiences in this life, I don't think that we want to make our focus those wonderful experiences because we're looking at something far more glorious and grand than a luxury cruise. However, a luxury cruise can be a wonderful opportunity for people to gather around someone who has really immersed themselves in the Word of God. And therefore, they can learn from that person And grow in grace and knowledge not only by interacting with that person asking that person as a teacher questions but also I think in the sense of fellowship with other Christians and I think cruises are fantastic quite frankly I mean I haven't done many of them I've done a few of them I did one to Alaska I did a Mexican Riviera cruise I've done other cruises but these cruises actually were the purpose of teaching So that we could equip God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up and strengthened. In the process, we're
4: supposed to get to get close to Jesus. Can you really do that on a cruise?
3: Why not on
4: a luxury cruise? Why not? because I don't think people are really into the Word, and I think they're into getting dressed and getting their photos taken, because that's what the cruises are mostly about. I don't think it's about praising God in any way, and I think it's a real affront to Jesus. Anyway, I was just wondering about that. Thank you for your comment. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
3: You're welcome. Look, I mean, I have participated even as a spectator, so to speak, on cruises where uh, there's been great teaching of the Word of God. Yeah, I mean, there are uh, opportunity to fellowship and commune with other believers. Cruises are fantastic as far as I'm concerned because you don't have to pack and unpack. The cruise takes you to different places and you're in the same room. But it's a fantastic opportunity to fellowship with other people. And so I have no problem with the cruises whatsoever. I mean, I think all of us have to be good stewards of our time. Our talent, and our treasure. And I think that if those cruises, again, are designed to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up and strengthened, if those cruises are designed such that we might worship God in spirit and in truth, if they're designed so that we can have fellowship with other believers, I don't think that there's anything wrong with a wonderful cruise. And again, I've done them. I've taken people to Alaska. I've taken people to other parts of the world. I've taken people to Israel. And again, the idea behind that is teaching, equipping God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up and strengthened. I want to mention CRI's monthly support team. It is only through those who stand shoulder to shoulder with us in the battle for life and truth that we can not only do broadcasts like the Bible Answer Man broadcast,
1: but that we can
3: 24-7 equip people in places around the world. And so if you have some of the Lord's resources that you would like to invest in this ministry, we would be deeply grateful. Those resources will be used for God's glory and for the extension of His kingdom. You can join CRI's monthly support team by simply going to the web at equip.org or you can call 888-7000-274. We're going to be right back with more answers to your questions in just a moment.
2: Fatal Torment, Empty Tomb, Appearances of Christ, Transformation, These four witnesses prove the resurrection of Christ, the central truth of Christianity, and our only hope of heaven. Hank's book, The Third Day, examines the historical facts in depth to help you defend your faith and rejoice in your own coming resurrection. The third day is our thank you for your gift today to help produce more Bible Answer Man broadcasts and other truth-affirming CRI resources. Call 888-7000-CRI or visit equip.org to request your copy today. We'll return to the Bible Answer Man broadcast right after this. God spoken? Are the words of Scripture merely human in origin, or are they in fact the very words of God Himself? Three years in the making, and based on two decades of research and reflection, Hank Hanegraaff's monumental book, Has God Spoken?, answers what is surely the most important question facing our world. In Has God Spoken, Memorable Proofs of the Bible's Divine Inspiration, Hank counters the contentions of the Bible attackers and clearly shows that belief in the Holy Scriptures is not a guess or wishful thinking. It is the only logical conclusion after an honest examination of overwhelming evidence. Order Has God Spoken from the Christian Research Institute by calling 888-7000-CRI or go online to equip.org. When you need answers about the Bible and the intersection of our faith and culture, you turn to the Bible Answer Man broadcast and the Christian Research Institute. But did you know we're entirely supported by God's provision through friends like you? In appreciation for your gift of ministry support today, we'll send you Hank's book, The Third Day, a convincing case study on the most important truth of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Johnny Erickson Tata has said, Hank leaves no stone unturned, thoroughly portraying the resurrection as our grand hope, the glorious springboard from which we all dive into eternity. Strengthen your defense of the resurrection and increase your confidence in your own eternal future. Call 888-7000-CRI or visit equip.org now. The number of wolves surrounding the Christian flock is growing, and they relish nothing more than docile sheep utterly incapable of defending themselves. From militant secularists at home to militant Islamists abroad, the assaults on biblical Christianity are growing dangerously. But Christian Research Institute support team members aren't in favor of feeding these wolves. Instead, each day they're making possible an array of outreaches that defang these wolf packs with solid arguments and evidence that have stood the test of time. What's more, support team members are equipping themselves with CRI's Equipping Essentials, a hand-picked collection of the best apologetics tools around. Your selection of resources, along with a complimentary subscription to the Christian Research Journal, are just our way of saying thanks. To learn more about the benefits of membership, simply visit equip.org. Once again, that's equip.org. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important fact of Christianity. In fact, if Christ was not raised from the dead, nothing else matters. We are still in our sins and have no hope of heaven. Learn to defend the resurrection with Hank's book, The Third Day, our gift to you in appreciation for your ministry support today. Examine and explode the lies of resurrection deniers and strengthen your confidence in your own resurrection. To request your copy with your gift today, visit equip.org or call 888-7000-CRI. Thank you. We now return to the Bible Answer Man broadcast
3: and your host, Hank Hanegraaff. Let's go back to the phone lines, talk to Sienna, listening in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hi. Ask me a question.
4: Why did God make people?
3: Why did God make people? Hi, Sienna.
4: I'm (laughs)
3: How old are you?
4: I'm seven.
3: Seven? Wow. Well, thanks for calling me. Look, that is probably the best question that anyone's asked me in a long, long time. God made people for fellowship with Him. You know, your mom and dad love you. They have you as a child so they can lavish love on you, so that they can have relationship with you. And God created people so that he could lavish his love on them, so that they could have a relationship with him, so that they could worship him and be brought into the very fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true God revealed in three persons, have loved one another for all eternity. And God in His love condescended to create you and I so that we could have a relationship and commune with Him. And what's so cool about that, Sienna, is that when we have a relationship with God, then we have the fulfillment that our lives were designed to have because we were created in the image and likeness of God to have a relationship with Him. Now, God did not need us, but what's beautiful about the love relationship is it's not out of need it is out of god's abundant grace and just as your mom and dad give you so much in terms of love and you give that love back to them you can imagine how great it is to have a love relationship with the one that actually see in it knit you together in your mother's womb the bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made i think what would be kind of neat is if after this call you, uh, you, you, you read Psalm 139 together with your mom and dad. I think it will give you a sense of how much God loves you and how great a relationship we can have with God in return. Thanks for calling me, Sienna. Well,
4: thank you. Thank
3: you. <laughs> Call me anytime. Let's go back to the phone lines. We'll talk to Joseph next, listening in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Hi, Joseph.
5: Hey, Hank, how are you?
3: I'm good. How are you?
5: Doing well. Hey, I've got a quick question for you. Um, going through a study on the uh, "Has God Spoken" book that you wrote uh, with a friend of mine, and we were in chapter three today, and we were talking about the part where you mentioned the, the autographs and how if we had the autographs, we would make idols out of those, and not, um, you know, it would it would go too far. So I'm I'm wondering. I didn't have a great answer for him. He he felt that that was a clever excuse to kind of skirt around the truth of why we don't have the, the original manuscripts and why, in your opinion, that's not as important um, as having the original autographs. So I, I was wondering if you could maybe articulate that a little bit better for me as to why you feel that way.
3: Yeah, but it's not one or the other, it's both and, because on the one hand it is true that I have written and has God spoken that if we had an identifiable autograph or an original, that's what an autograph means, that the actual paper and ink would replace God very likely as the object of our worship. And the the rancor of control would be unimaginable, and we would, and I think this is an even more important point, we'd have no assurance that the text was indeed the text. We might well have an autograph enshrined somewhere in the world, like in the Vatican, but we would lack the epistemic certainty of its authenticity. So what do we have instead? Well, that's what I point out in my book. I say that the autographs are forever immortalized within a supernaturally prescribed corpus of manuscripts. So what do we have? Instead of having less than the autographs, we have far more. We have a treasure trove of manuscripts which get us back to the autographs. And no one would ever ever have had the ecclesiastical authority or power to control that one manuscript because what happened and this is the key the new testament books were written at various times they were copied rapidly they were distributed as soon as they were written and there was never a time therefore that anyone could gather up these manuscripts and make alterations in the manuscript, in the text of the manuscript, you know, by cutting out some essential, of the Christian faith or whatever. Instead, what we have is these manuscripts that now appear, and what we can do is compare them. So there are copies of the originals, and they're very close to the originals. Now we have this whole corpus of manuscripts. They all have errors, but they don't have the same errors. And none of them has substantial errors. So when you compare manuscript with manuscript, what happens is you get back to the autograph. So God has preserved the autograph within a treasure trove of manuscripts. That's the whole point.
5: Okay, that's great. Thank you, Hank.
3: Hey, you got it. Thank you so much for your call. Let's talk to Terry next in Charlotte, North Carolina. Listening on the web. Hi, Terry.
4: Hey Hank, how you doing?
3: I'm doing well, thank you.
4: I'm calling because I've been uh, talking with my friends and and even strangers, and we've been talking about uh, righteousness. We, I, we recognize that that, that uh, God imputes righteousness to us. Uh, through through Jesus. But my question is, does that mean that we don't ask for forgiveness uh, when we do sin because we are declared as righteousness before God? Or uh, is is that righteousness a practical righteousness, or is it just a righteousness? Or or maybe just explain the, the whole scope of righteousness.
3: Yeah, I mean, first of all, it is an egregious error and unfortunately one that has permeated the Church In modern times not to confess our sins because we are called to confess our sins and the beauty is when we confess our sins we immediately recognize that he is faithful and just he will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness so it is axiomatic for us to continually confess our sins before god And this is something that I take great joy in, quite frankly. And I can say this with all integrity. There's not a time that goes by that I do the show that I do not first confess my sins before the Lord. And sometimes I do it by simply saying, Lord, I know you're faithful and just and will forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And sometimes I do it by quoting in my head What David said in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression. My sin is ever before me. It's a recognition that I'm a needy sinner in the face of a righteous and holy God. And yes, I have been saved by God's grace through faith on account of Jesus Christ, but while I am positionally reckoned righteous, I am still a sinner. I sin every day. And because of that, I have to confess those sins. Not only have to, but I have the privilege of going into the throne room of God and confessing my sins. In fact, confession used to be a part of the church. You know, And in many ways, it got shanghaied, as it were. In medieval times by corrupt priests, where people no longer felt as though they could go into confession in a safe way. In modern times by caricatures of confession. But confession is a very significant part of being inextricably woven into the fabric of a community of faith. So I think one of the great errors that we have in the modern epic is the error of a failure to confess our sins. And now people are saying that it is an abomination to confess your sin. It is like spitting in the eye of God. We have all these teachers on radio and television telling multitudes of people this. We actually did an article in Christian Research Journal rebutting this because it is a very, very serious error. I'm gonna leave it at that because obviously we're just about out of time as we close out the broadcast, a reminder that we do what we do because life and truth really do matter. They don't only matter in time, they matter for all eternity. And we're asking people, therefore, to stand with this ministry shoulder to shoulder in the battle for life and truth. If you can give to this ministry, You can give in a safe, secure fashion on the web at equip.org. Out of time for this edition of the Bible Answer Man broadcast. Be back with more answers to your questions. Appreciate everyone stands shoulder to shoulder with us in the battle for life and truth.
2: You've been listening to the Bible Answer Man broadcast with Hank Hanegraaff. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina, zip code 28271. To listen to the broadcast on the Internet, visit equip.org where you'll also find a wealth of information and resources to equip you. To talk to a resource consultant, call 888-7000-CRI. That's 888-7000-274. The Bible Answer Man broadcast is supported by listeners like you. We're on the air because life and truth matter. When you need answers about the Bible and the intersection of our faith and culture, you turn to the Bible Answer Man broadcast and the Christian Research Institute. But did you know we're entirely supported by God's provision through friends like you? In appreciation for your gift of ministry support today, we'll send you Hank's book, The Third Day, a convincing case study on the most important truth of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Johnny Erickson Tata has said, Hank leaves no stone unturned, thoroughly portraying the resurrection as our grand hope, the glorious springboard from which we all dive into eternity. Strengthen your defense of the resurrection and increase your confidence in your own eternal future. Call 888-7000-CRI or visit equip.org now.